So today, continuing a reflection on the fourth foundation of mindfulness in the Buddhist teachings on mindfulness. The fourth foundation of mindfulness is a set of meditation instructions that encourages us to explore our direct experience through the perspective of some of the teachings of the Buddha, some of the lists the Buddha uh, offers, the lists that are included in the fourth foundation in terms of exploring our experience through these lenses or frameworks by the hindrances, the five aggregates. And if you don't know what these are, that's okay. Um, We'll get to them over time. The five aggregates, the six sense bases, the seven factors of awakening, and the four noble truths. And so it's, uh, it's kind of an encouragement to begin to understand the Buddha's teachings, what he offers in terms of teachings, through direct experience. So these, I, I think um, the reason why this is the fourth foundation, the, the first three foundations are, 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 are really simple. They don't necessarily require much understanding of the, the Buddha's teachings. He encourages us to be aware of our body, be aware of uh, the feeling tone of whether things are pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral, and to be aware of what's happening in our mind. In those, he does particularly encourage a particular way of attending in each of those areas. And the main encouragement is to simply be aware that of what is arising. So being aware that body sensations are arising, being aware that feelings are arising, not, not, not um, instructions in this particular teaching around what to do when they're arising, other than to know them, be aware of them. And so these first three foundations to me really create a kind of a stability of understanding what it means to be aware of our experience through our body, through the feeling, and through what's happening in our minds. And so we we gain that capacity through exploring these first three foundations, which we've talked about over the last number of weeks. We learn how to be attentive to body experience, pressure, feeling, not not so much the um, concept of our body, but the direct experience. Again, this is really a pointing to direct experience. So the instructions don't talk about being aware of a foot or an arm or a hand, but rather speak about being aware of um, sensations like um, it's it's framed through what the at the time of the Buddha were called the four elements: earth, air, fire, and water. But but other places um, in some of the teachings talk about how those are translated into sensations. So, uh, wind, air is experienced as vibration, tingling, pulsing, movement quality. Um, Earth is experienced as heaviness, density, weight, that kind of experience, Um, solidity. Um, Water is experienced as moisture, 
the, the sensation of moisture, stickiness, uh, dryness, and temperature through the range of uh, heat and coolness. And so again, you know, really pointing to direct experience. In this fourth foundation, the teachings bring in um, an exploration through some particular Dharma lenses. And the, these, these lenses, I think, begin to help us to kind of tease out or get familiar with through direct experience what, um, what qualities of heart and mind tend to create suffering, create stress, create tension, and what qualities of heart and mind tend to move us in the direction of happiness. And so these lists, two of these lists in particular, the hindrances and the seven factors of awakening directly speak to this. So the, the first list, the list of the hindrances is really encouraging us to get to know some qualities of mind that hinder in the term hindrances, um, cover the term in Pali, Nivarana literally means covering. And the, um, uh, to get to know those qualities of mind and heart that cover, and what do they cover? Um, they cover ease of heart, ease of mind. The, um, the, the kind of definition in the suttas around why they're called the hindrances or called the coverings is because they tend to hinder concentration. These, these five hindrances, and I'll name them in a moment, these five hindrances uh, tend to get in the way of the mind being settled, stable, concentrated. So that concentration that these qualities get in the way of um, can be both the focused kind of concentration that we often think of when we think of the word concentration, a focus on one object and staying with it, that's very often what we understand to uh, concentration to mean. But the teachings um, offer multiple perspectives on concentration, uh, not only this focused kind of concentration, but also what's called moment to moment concentration, where the um, mind is basically available to receive moment after moments what, what's here without reacting to it, without being pulled into it and greed or aversion or being confused by it or caught in our beliefs around it. And so the, the hindrances are those energies of our heart and mind that tend to get us caught with experience as opposed to just being able to recognize, oh, this is what's happening in our experience. The term hindrance also, and, and I think just focusing pretty much on the hindrances today, so kind of landing in our topic right now, um, that term covering, to me, it, that's an interesting um, framing or use of the word. Um, I think a lot of the times when the Buddha used language, he, he was speaking in analogy in a way. And the, um, the use of hindrance or cover for these qualities gives the sense that, you know, when something is covered, it's, it's not that it's not there, you know, it's, it's kind of like it's, it's that, that there's something that's easily available to be revealed when the cover is removed. And so as the hindrances begin to um, um, 
weaken through our practice and the encouragement in this particular section of the sutta is simple as in the other parts of the of the teaching just to recognize when the hindrances are present is a powerful exploration when they're present when they're absent just that simple exploration supports the movement of mind to begin to let go of these energies that get in the way of settling of the mind and as they do weaken or fall away as we begin to recognize the absence of these hindrances what we might begin to recognize is that there's something else there beautiful qualities of mind perhaps some of the seven factors of awakening are there some qualities of delight or joy of tranquility or happiness maybe equanimity will be there some stability of mind will be there so the um the the understanding uh, around the hindrances is the kind of the weakening of those as they fall away it's not that nothing is left there's something that's there so kind of the the um the what is arising as the hindrances fall away tend to be beautiful qualities of mind and so recognizing the absence of the hindrances is also uh, a part of this practice so um in terms of looking at the um these five areas of the the fourth foundation the hindrances the five aggregates the six sense bases the seven factors of awakening and the four noble truths um, any one of those in in any moment of experience it's not that sometimes the five aggregates would be there and sometimes the five hindrances would be there or not at any particular moment we might be exploring or noticing through this framework through one of these frameworks and in any moment of experience just taking the hindrances as an example in any moment of experience one hindrance let's pick ill will this quality of wanting to separate not liking wanting to lash out the, the flavors of reactive emotion related to not liking what's happened what's happening in any moment of experience that quality of mind is either present or it's not present in any moment of experience and so this lens or this framework in terms of looking at experience through the presence or absence of a hindrance can be a complete practice in and of itself and will be onward leading will be will be um just just this practice of looking at whether hindrance is present or absent when we notice the presence of a hindrance these qualities of mind that get in the way of concentration we see how the mind is constricted we see we experience again this is not this is not theoretical as we experience oh this is what it's like for ill will to be present we feel into the suffering of that we know it's painful when we experience the absence of ill will and this is this is harder it's it's subtler in a way because we don't typically orienting to recognize when something's not there and so um you know if we're using this framework 
it's like, oh, okay, well, yeah, I'm, I'm, if we're orienting towards noticing when ill will is there, we may also start to notice, oh, it's not there right now. And as we recognize it's not there, we begin to experience some of the perhaps release from that tension or stress or suffering. This is actually an important part of the teaching, I think, the noticing the absence of that stress. Because it's, it, it's um, we're, we're so often much more oriented towards noticing when things are here, even when they're unpleasant. We're, we're oriented towards noticing when they're here. It's more obvious to us. But as they release, there can be a kind of a very subtle um, okayness, a simple, oh, it's okay. things are okay right now. I'm not stressed or not tied up in knots. But so often we want something to be kind of a big, oh, it's really wonderful, or oh, I feel really happy or something. And we're not oriented to, to just recognizing the simple absence of reactivity. So this um, exploration of presence and absence, I think, is the first exploration around these five hindrances. The five hindrances being um, sense desire, a uh, kind of movement of wanting around pleasant experience, in particular pleasant sense experience. So, uh, the hindrances around kind of the orientation of, I need to have pleasant sight, sound, smell, taste, touch around me. Um, need to have those in order to be happy. So that kind of perspective of it's necessary for me to have these pleasant experiences in order to be happy. And the, um, the um, teaching around this being a hindrance is that not so much that this is, the, 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 um, the ethical concern here, the ethical kind of point the Buddha makes around the hindrances is, you know, if you're interested in finding that kind of mind that's able to be here without being pulled into reactivity, then these qualities are not helpful. And so, and we begin to experience that when we notice, for instance, the mind pulled to sense desire, it starts thinking about those things, planning how to get it, figuring out how to hold on to it, fear that I won't be able to hold on to it. Those things take us out of the present moment. And so that takes us away from this stability of mind to be able to be with moment after moment experience. And so this is, uh, this is the, the kind of encouragement to notice that it's present. We begin to see how it gets in the way of that stability of mind. We begin to understand something of how it takes us out of being able to be here without worry, concern, confusion, anxiety. So sense desire is the first of the five hindrances. And then the second is ill will. This is kind of the flip side of sense desire. It is relating to unpleasant experience and wanting to not be around it. 
um, like unpleasant sense experience again this these these qualities of the the first two qualities are pointing particularly to our relationship to sense experience and some of that sense experience is connected with um, thoughts about um, needing or wanting to have these sense pleasures so ill will is that kind of not wanting to be with wanting to get rid of wanting to get myself out of here get you know so kind of a separating movement around ill will the um the third hindrance is um restlessness oh no actually the, the third technically is sloth and torpor the fourth is restlessness uh, sloth and torpor being kind of a sleepiness or a dullness or a disconnection or just a weighing down the mind that's just like heavy and not feeling connected to experience that too kind of gets in the way of the ability to connect in a moment if our mind is kind of weighed down heavy not going to be able to be present in the present moment often too we have um we kind of move into habitual patterns of reactivity when the mind is in sloth and torpor. We move into habits of patterns of mind as we get tired and, and dull, our mind will just tend to go with what's easiest, which tends to be our habits and patterns of mind. Greed and aversion, beliefs around what's happening. And so again, that, um, that, uh, low energy sloth and torpor um, tends to keep us from being able to be connected so it gets in the way of that stability of mind that concentration uh, whether moment to moment or or focused concentration now one thing i'll say at this point and go into the other two in just a moment um, the encouragement in the sutta to notice presence or absence of these qualities of mind. As soon as we know clearly, oh, what's happening right now is sense desire is arising in the mind. Or we know clearly, oh, what's happening right now is the mind is really tired. That is possible, by the way. To, we might think that sleepiness or dullness of mind or spaciness another quality that's often connected with sloth and torpor that those states of mind would be inherently without mindfulness but that's not true actually we can be aware when the mind is sleepy we can be aware when the mind is spacey or when it's dull i'll talk about that more in just a bit but it's it's um It's a shift from uh, kind of being caught in the hindrance, being caught by aversion or greed or sleepiness. Oh, I can't meditate while I'm sleepy. That's kind of being caught in it, or just being asleep is being caught in it. But if in a in a moment, and one thing I'll propose is that if you can recognize or or even tell yourself, if you hear yourself say, "I can't be mindful while I'm this sleepy," you are already mindful that you are sleepy. You're all, you already have enough awareness to just know that, oh, this is what it's like to be a human being that's sleepy. So you, you have enough awareness for that. So it's a, it's a little bit of a shift of a belief in the mind around that capacity. 
And so when we are aware of these as present, aware that sense desire is happening in this moment, aware that sleepiness or dullness is happening in this moment, those qualities of mind are no longer functioning as hindrances. They're no longer acting as something that's in the way or covering or hindering concentration. Instead, they are the, uh, the soil, the nourishment out of which concentration can develop. We can become steadily aware of these qualities of mind as they're coming and going. So this is the encouragement of this part of the sutta, to become aware of when these qualities are present and when they're absent. So noticing that they're present with just a simple, oh, this is what's happening in the moment, takes us from uh, having the, those qualities of mind function as hindrances to having them function as another experience through which we can learn, through which we can become um, aware of the nature of our minds, the nature of experience as impermanent, as unreliable, as conditioned, leading to the understandings that free the mind, that, that help it to release the suffering. And so the, uh, the encouragement of this sutta is really, of this section of the sutta is really um, noticing where, when, when they're there and when they're not there. And, and that actually, with the, with the addition of the uh, additional pieces, which we'll get to in a minute of additional pieces of instruction around what we can notice around these hindrances, can be very powerfully um, freeing for us. In my own experience, looking at ill will, looking at anger at others, anger at myself, self-hatred, there have been some very freeing moments right in the midst of seeing self-hatred, right in the midst of being aware, oh, this is what's arising in this moment, seeing the pain of it, understanding, understanding something about its nature created moments of freedom right then and there and understandings that led to future release, led, led to the, the kind of deeper freedom from, from some of those patterns and habits. And so the, these uh, curiosity about these qualities, I mean, just the name hindrances, we might think, oh, in order to be, and I certainly did, I thought in order to, to get anywhere in this practice, I had to get rid of the self-hatred first. I had to get rid of this anger first. But what I began to understand is that the wisdom can develop, the learning can develop right through being with those experiences. And that's what this part of the, the teaching points to. Being aware of the presence and absence of these supports our freedom, supports our understanding of how our minds work. You know, these, these qualities of these hindrances, particularly the sense, desire, and ill will, this is going on for us all day long and motivates a lot of what we do. 
And when we can begin to understand it, as the mind begins to understand these habits and patterns and understands that they are painful, that they are suffering, our mind helps us to let them go. There's a wisdom in our system that helps us to let them go. It's a fantastic thing that there's this, this kind of orientation in our system that tends to take us, well, it's like our system wants to move in the direction of well-being. It wants to move in the direction of ease and peace. And it's so confused about that, partly because it hasn't really seen or gotten the information uh, seen directly that these habits and patterns of ill will, of sense desire, of sleepiness, of restlessness are, uh, are painful in and of themselves, especially when we're resisting them, when we are fighting them. So the, um, uh, the observation of these qualities of mind helps us to understand how they hinder us, how they get in the way. And then when we experience their absence, we feel a freedom there, a kind of a release or a spaciousness. And so our mind getting that in information, I, I like to think of this practice as giving our minds an education about those habits and patterns. And we believed, we've thought that they've been helpful to us. Our minds have, you know, it was kind of stunning to see at some point the belief that this anger was somehow making me happy or going to make me happy, going to make me feel better at some point. It was going, it was going to do something for me. But what I hadn't noticed so clearly was how much that anger was creating pain for me in the moment. It was like my mind was willing to forego the ease of happiness here and now for the idea that some point in the future, this anger was going to do something for me. And so we, we, um, we start to see that directly. And as our system sees that directly, it, it kind of begins to intervene and helps us to let go of these difficult habits and patterns. And so to continue on with the other two hindrances, restlessness and worry, um, this is a kind of a quality of mind that's kind of jumpy. It, it won't settle on anything. It's continually kind of searching for something and that searching is often what's going to make me happy and where where can I land and can I get the next thing or or just a sense of this isn't okay here, you know, how can I, you know, kind of a spinning, there, there can be a mental spinning energy. Um, the body can also have a quality of like feeling jumpy. I think we all recognize this, this uh, quality of restlessness, the mind just like it, it can come out of boredom, it can come out of uh, anxiety, um, that the mind is kind of like searching around for something to, and often something to make it feel happy. And paradoxically, what we can begin to see is that that very movement of um, restlessness is itself the reason the mind is not settled. So again, noticing the presence of it, and maybe noticing the absence of it, we can begin to see, and particularly with the, with restlessness, that um, when when the mind is kind of restless and searching around, 
the the restlessness creates this unpleasant quality and and we think we have to figure something out or get something or land somewhere in order to have some ease but at the ease the thing that's creating the dis-ease or the lack of ease is the restlessness itself what i've seen in my own experience is as i see that restlessness fall away see see that kind of falling away of the that whirling quality of mind nothing else has to change in the world the mind can have some sense of okayness even if there's unpleasant things going on in the world there can be an okayness like oh yeah this is what's happening it's kind of like landing with the truth in a way it's like yeah this is this is what's happening and maybe there's um you know a little bit of um um, emotion there like a, a sadness or um, or maybe there's an excitement that uh, that is kind of overdrawn overdrive but there's a happiness there that can be very settled as that excitement or that kind of restless quality around the happiness can fall away and then just landing with that and again the awareness of it is what's most important recognizing this is the quality of mind of restlessness and the fifth hindrance is doubt doubt um there's different flavors of doubt there can be doubt in the teachings doubt in you know what the buddha said or taught i'm not sure that's going to work but i think the most pernicious or insidious kind of doubt is doubt in our own capacity I can't do this. Um, this isn't going to work for me um, because that just makes us not try. It, it kind of, it just kind of get, makes us give up. And so really helpful to notice when this is happening. It's, it's like a view in the mind, often not seen an idea or belief. I can't do this. Or, not sure this is going to work for me, something like that. And so noticing those kinds of thoughts, we can be aware those kinds of thoughts are happening because often doubt comes more as a thought experience there can be a flavor of a feeling to it but in my experience the flavor of the feeling of doubt often expresses as some other emotion like grief or sadness or confusion or something like that whereas the the, the doubt itself is much is almost mental it's, it's a belief or an idea. And so sometimes we can recognize doubt through the kinds of things our mind is telling us. If we find ourselves thinking thoughts about the practice or our capacity to do the practice, often that's a flavor of doubt. And so that, that can be really useful. Oh, right. Okay. Thinking that I can't do this. That's what's happening. That's doubt. It's very powerful, again, to just simply recognize it. When we can know those thoughts as just, oh, those are thoughts arising, it's very human to have doubt, to be uncertain about our capacity. What's less common for us is to recognize that that's just simply something that happens to humans. Oh, this is doubt that's happening. So the recognition of these qualities, I, I described them a little bit to support our capacity to recognize their presence, and then to be curious too about what it might be like when they're not there. As we get familiar with them and their presence, we can also get 
maybe have a little bit more capacity to recognize when they're not there. Oh, doubt isn't happening right now. When there is a sense of confidence in our capacity to meet experience, that's the absence of doubt. Now, it may not be um, the most um, obvious thing in the world to notice the absence of doubt or the absence of aversion. But this encouragement, so, you know, this is, this is something about, I think, the way the Buddha teaches. He encourages us to notice these things. And so talk about it, you know, have you noticed that, did you notice while that was happening that there wasn't aversion in the mind? Um, did you notice while that was happening that you had confidence that there wasn't a sense of doubt in the mind? That begins to help the mind kind of be curious about the experience of the absence of the hindrances. And then we begin to get a sense of what it's like to have the mind be more stable, have that sense of um, ability to just be with what's happening without being pulled into reactivity. So I'll just briefly mention and maybe um, continue next time on the, the last three instructions with the hindrances. To me, these last, the, the first two um, uh, instructions are about noticing whether it's present or absent. The last three are about recognizing kind of the conditions around which the hindrances come up the conditions around which the hindrances go away and the conditions around which the hindrance doesn't tend to arise at all. That one, that one much more subtle in a way, but again, you know, so this is, this to me is, um, noticing the conditions around an experience. So what is it, you know, what is it that makes that makes a, a hindrance arise? Kind of curious, curiosity about that. Our capacity to see that, to be aware of that, comes with more continuity of mindfulness. And so this could be an instruction that says, look for this or try to find this or, you know, to try to figure out um, what, what preceded what, when, this, when this hindrance arose. But in my own experience, that kind of, well, that kind of reflection can be useful at times, but that's not the direct experience of being aware. Instead, the, the, the awareness moment to moment, you know, noticing, oh, this is what's happening right now. As we're aware of a hindrance as it's present, we also may be aware of some of the things that are going on like, for instance, um, thoughts in the mind. So, for instance, when anger is arising in the mind, there might be thoughts about somebody that you're angry at. And those thoughts are a supportive condition for the anger to continue. And so we begin to see and understand that the, the hindrances are connected. They're not random. They're arising based on conditions. They pass away based on conditions. And there are conditions that we begin to understand or learn out of which they don't arise at all. 
And so that, I think I'll, I'll just defer that to next week, you know, explore that in a little more depth next week, because I think it's, it's worth taking some time to explore how that can be a very simple part of our mindfulness practice, as opposed to a complicated trying to figure out how, how things are connected. Uh, in my own experience, that, that kind of thinking about just leads to more thinking, as opposed to really a deeper understanding. So um, I'll stop there and see if there's any comments or questions about what I've shared so far. And one more piece I'll add. Um, the teachings in this fourth foundation around noticing experience through these lenses of the Dharma. And I'd say the Satipatthana Sutta as a whole can be understood in different ways. It might be understood as a kind of encouragement to pick a particular area to look at in the guided meditation earlier, I, I talked about, you can just receive what's happening, notice what's obvious, just be aware of that. Or you could choose to aim your attention, direct your attention to something. They're both valid ways to cultivate mindfulness. And I think the Satipatthana Sutta uh, supports and encourages both forms of practice. It may be understood that, you know, the Satipatthana Sutta, the encouragement of knowing, um, you know, when body sensation or arises, when feelings are arising, is an encouragement to orient and look, aim the attention at that kind of aspect of experience. In the fourth foundation, aim the experience at looking at the hindrances. Or it might be that um, it can also be understood as just noticing that the language is well, when one sees uh, a, a sense desire arising, one knows it's arising, one understands it's present when it's not present, one understands it's not present. And so it could be that it's simply just noticing kind of what's obvious and through these various lenses. But it also can be useful at times to orient to one of these as a framework, as a, as a point of reference for study. Um, take some time to look at experience through this lens of the hindrances, because that will help us to understand them more clearly. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll stop there and, see, and, and take Bill's question. Well, I was <clears throat> sleepy this morning, uh, and I wonder if you have suggestions for being with sloth and torpor. Yes, certainly. Um, you know, I think the part of the, the biggest piece around the difficulty in being with sloth and torpor is that we might... Um, have some idea, and I'm not sure if this was happening for you, but um, we might have some idea that, uh, okay, I'm, you know, there's sleepiness arising in the mind. And so, gosh, I'm not able to uh, be attentive to the breath. You know, as soon as I try to be with the breath, it's like this, like I'm in a fog. I feel like I'm in a fog. I can't contact the breath. I, I can't contact experience. It feels like you know, I'm surrounded by cotton balls and I can't meet what is happening. And so that means I can't be mindful. Uh, but the 
experience of being surrounded by cotton balls or being in a fog, that might be more available to simply know that. So, you know, so, so the kind of sense of, wow, this is, you know, so sleepiness, this is what's here. Maybe a question of how does this sleepiness feel? How does the sleepiness affect the body? You know, when we're, when we're resisting sloth and torpor, when we're resisting sleepiness, uh, it often is very unpleasant. Uh, so if you're noticing that with sleepiness and meditation that there's an unpleasant quality, that's the first thing I'd look at is, is so that, that means there's some resistance possibly to the sleepiness because mostly sleepiness, when it's not resisted, it's actually a very pleasant experience. And so, you know, the, the, the kind of like, well, what is it like to be a human being that's feeling sleepy? You know, when I first started doing this, there was one sitting in particular where I finally realized, oh, actually, I can be aware of this. Like, oh, yeah, sleepiness, that's what's happening. Oh, wow, the body feels so soft and relaxed and heavy. And, you know, there's a lot of pleasantness in the body. Actually, sleepiness is designed to be, to feel good. <laughs> That's, that's why we fall asleep easily. So, so if we're, you know, the, I think that the the resistance comes, or the the idea comes that you know the sleepiness is taking me into non mindfulness, and so I don't want to go to non mindfulness. Um, and and so there's a little bit of an edge that we can play. What I found in that exploration, uh, in that sitting around noticing the kind of experience of this is what it's like. Wow, yeah, really soft, really. And I fell asleep. It's like, okay, but I got a little taste of it. You know, I got a little taste of being mindful while sleepy. And then falling asleep, I, that woke me up. You know, the dropping woke me up. So, okay, let's do it again. And, you know, oh, wow. You know, it's not only does the body get all soft and sleepy. Wow, the mind goes into this kind of zone that actually that feels pretty good too. And then I would fall asleep again. So another thing that I found really useful was not trying to stay awake, but just being curious about how, how much I can be aware of the experience of sleepiness itself, not trying to be aware of anything else, no other body sensations, not trying to be with the breath. It's like, what is it like to be a human being that's sleepy? And then maybe falling asleep. It can be useful in that kind of exploration to sit in a way that you will drop that it, if you fall asleep so you can keep trying as opposed to just kind of zoning out for 10 minutes um <laughs> you know but not giving yourself a hard time for falling asleep it's 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 a stretching of the mindfulness into this area it's not mm. an easy place for mindfulness to go because we have such a habit of non-mindfulness in sleepiness so giving yourself some compassion for how hard it is and a permission to go ahead and fall asleep but keep trying. It's the intention. The intention is so important. So the intention plus the letting go of the idea that you have to be aware of anything else other than just this experience. What is it like to be sleepy or foggy or spacey or whatever? You know, what is it like? So those are a few, a few suggestions. Thank you. Yeah. Good thoughts. <laughs>